This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on this episode of Afternoons. We are asking, are you living in pain? Is that your new normal? There could be another way. Speaking to therapist and practitioner Gemma McFall about chronic pain, how to avoid it and why some of us feel it worse than others. And also in conversation with one of her clients too about her life has been turned around in just a couple of sessions. We were turning our attentions to divorce month. January, traditionally, the time when, well, divorce lawyers are getting the most phone calls. What can we do to future-proof our relationships? And ultimately, if we are separating, keep children at the absolute priority. In conversation with Lani Rooks, family coaching from Wildflower, and asking Ham Zuali, author, career coach, recruiter, is working from home killing your career? One study seems to think so. Plus, how you can get your CV in the best possible state for a job hunt in 2024. And if you are looking at self-improvement, what book should be on your bedside table? In conversation with Heather, the founder of a self-help book club right here in Dubai. Are you in chronic pain? Do you know what that is? What that can look like, feel like? We're bringing in the expert now, chronic pain coach Gemma McFall. Um, we are going to be speaking to sufferer Marissa after half past today. Gemma, thank you so much for coming in because I feel like we've talked about pain in various aspects from, you know, heartbreak to, you know, no cartilage in your knees, you know, and, and the various forms it can take. But to my embarrassment, we've never really addressed the concept of chronic pain on the show before and unfortunately it is it can be incredibly cruel and incredibly limiting for the people that, that do struggle and suffer so I wanted to ask you first of all why this is an area that you wanted to focus on yeah well thanks for having me welcome I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to get the chance to share so the reason I got into this was I had back pain years ago uh, when I moved to Dubai and over the course of about 10 years, the pain got worse and worse and worse. I was seeing physios, um, osteopaths, chiropractors. I had injections in my spine on a regular basis. Gosh. Um, I'm also just seeing dollar signs <laughs> just like floating past the screen. You yeah, know, dollar like... signs and time off work. Uh-huh. You know, I was, in a, I was in a corporate job and um, with a big team, a lot of stress. Um, and I was having to come out of work to keep on having all these treatments. And of course, I, I had no choice. I was, in, I was in agony, but the pain got worse and worse and worse um, to the point where it was surgery is the only option, um, which obviously put me into a tailspin. I'm sure. um, and I would have done anything to avoid surgery, but really, it was the only thing. And then just purely by chance, um, somebody pointed me in the direction of a neuroplastic pain and, and helped me to understand the science behind pain and why, why we have pain in the first place. Why do we have pain in our yeah. bodies, Gemma? Can, can, <laughs> I know you've obviously spent a lot of time you know, educating yourself and others on this, but in, in a nutshell, are there any myths about pain that you're really keen to dispel on air with us today? Yeah, I mean, pain... Pain is trying to tell us something, you know, that we are in danger. We need to get out of danger. But chronic pain is when we've had pain for more than three months and the danger signal still going after three months causing the pain. But in most cases of chronic pain, it's because it's now become a learned neural pathway. We felt pain once, 
twice and that pathway gets stronger and stronger mm. so even after the physical thing has you know months behind the pain is still there that's interesting so it, sometimes i mean obviously we can't ignore pain um, but it's interesting to think about how brain health is somehow related to our perceptions of pain. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. 100%. So the, in the end, I, I managed to avoid surgery after 10 years of back pain, which really, by the end, I was I was lying on the floor and the kids were crawling all over me because I, I couldn't lift them from the floor to the high chair. Gosh. I was in that much pain. Gosh. So, so when you... Th- and we're going to talk about some of the methods that you use with your clients as well, Gemma, but in terms of what worked for you, because that does sound too good to be true because you know we do have people in agony you know, whose lives are limited as you're talking mm-hmm. about your inability to work so tell us a little bit about how I guess you retrained your body and your brain in order to avoid the knife yeah that's a great question um so the pain signal is seeing a, a threat and that's the fear let's say of the back pain which then causes more pain and we're in what's called a pain fear cycle So what's actually really happening with chronic pain is that the brain is misfiring a signal into the body. So, I mean, you asked, do I want to dispel any uh, myths on air? Um, It is normal to have an abnormal MRI scan. What? Yeah. Please expand. (laughs) I will, I will. And I knew you would ask me to expand. So in in, in 2015, there was a huge study done. Um, 3,000 people with zero pain were put through an MRI scan. And of the 20-year-olds, 37% of them had disc degeneration. And of the 80-year-olds, 96% had disc degeneration. So it's normal to have, you know, disc degeneration as we age. But, Mm -hmm. of course, when I was sitting in front of a surgeon saying, I'm in absolute agony, and he's looking at my MRI scan, he's saying, well, you're in agony because of what we see here on the MRI scan. And I believe that which made me in panic. Mm-hmm. But that, that disc degeneration would have already been there. Yeah. Would have already been there. So can I ask you then about the why some of us feel pain more keenly than others? Let's say you and I both break our leg in exactly the same incident. Yep. We have exactly the same x-rays. You know, let's say our body types and fitness levels are, you know, or twins, for example. Why might one person find it very hard to recover from that pain and that pain be ongoing and someone might perhaps bounce back a bit more quickly and keenly if you have the education of pain and what pain is all about you wouldn't have fear of let's say the knee injury you would think oh i've injured my knee at the gym Mm -hmm. and let's give it three months maximum and it should be fixed given if i do the right physio the right exercises i keep moving it will heal itself so it's a a mindset piece as well Yes, but it's it's more, more about it's more about just understanding the science of pain. So I, I do a lot of corporate workshops where I teach people about the science of pain because when you understand it, then there's less to fear. Well, it's interesting, and there was um, a, it was around the time I gave birth actually. That there was um, an article that came out which was talking about educating women around childbirth and this uh, this pain association, and that women that were in communities and societies where there hadn't been this idea of you know, childbirth is the most painful thing you're going to experience, their pain levels were lesser. Yes, we're on the same page. Okay, right. (laughs) Joining us this afternoon to talk about chronic pain, we have got coach Gemma McFall. Joining us in studio this hour, Gemma McFall, chronic pain coach. As you may have heard, she had her own 
terrible struggles with back pain before realising that things didn't necessarily need to be that way. Can I ask how your back pain is now, Gemma? You said before you, you know, were taking time off work, you know, countless appointments, lying on the floor and able to pick up your babies. You walked in very comfortably today. How are you feeling? Uh, I've never felt better. Um, I'm cycling, running, I'm learning to tightrope walk and I'm learning to unicycle. <laughs> wow, um, okay. I'm making the most of the health I never had before. So, so life-changing. Yeah, life-changing. Can I ask then a little bit about what makes pain worse? When we think about environments, whether that is physical or indeed emotional, where pain can be heightened, what do we know about those correlations? Yeah, what we know about pain is that in the brain, it cannot tell the difference between physical pain and emotional pain. So we could have um, emotional pain over Christmas, for example, and the, that would send a signal to our body that says, you're in danger, you must create pain. Because the brain doesn't realise that it's an emotional pain. So when you hear about people dying of heartbreak? I can tell you. Statistically, there are more heart attacks on Monday mornings than any other day of the week. Wow. Wow. Um, we are going to be catching up with Marissa um, in about 10 minutes, who, who had, a, again, pain that was really stopping her from enjoying life and how you worked with her. But before we get to that, if we could talk in general terms about what treatment, what therapy can look like, because you do something called PRT. What's that, Gemma? Yeah, PRT is pain reprocessing therapy. Um, I was trained in this uh, through the States. Um, if anyone's interested, Alan Gordon, is uh, he has a, a fantastic book. Anyone could pick up and, and start on the journey on this. Um, it's psychological tools that I use to help clients to kind of deactivate the pain signal that's coming from the brain. Because we've already established, as we talked about before, that when you see an MRI scan, what you see is not what's causing the pain Almost always, we know pain comes from the brain. Mm -hmm. So what I'm effectively doing, I'm like a physio for the brain. I'm trying to help people to not have the pain signal going to that area. Can I ask then, can this be used for like performance enhancing? You know, if someone's going to run the marathon de Sable, for example, and they know they're going to be doing a marathon every day for five days, however, however crazy it is. Are there ways of, I guess what David Goggins calls as kind of callousing the brain so you're not getting those those pain signals. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the, the brain is incredible. And I think that the frustration I, I find is that I think people will come to me. I, I have a client I just finished with recently. He was having morphine injections in his shoulder the week before we started working together. And after two sessions, he had no pain. You know, and, and yes, it sounds too good to be true, but... All that changed in that situation, I taught him that the pain in his shoulder is not actually because of damage in his shoulder. It's that his brain thinks there is a threat, mm -hmm. you know, and then and then, of course, it's looking at what is that emotional threat? You work a lot with people in the States, um, the UK, um, and actually, you know, in this part of the world, it's still kind of quite a developing area. Um, so this is something that you do on zoom is it you know can it be a one-off can it can it be that effective or does it tend to be like an ongoing program that you would create with a client Gemma I tend to do either six or eight sessions and by the end of that you'll have all the tools you need to continue and help yourself um but it's funny when you say is it a one-off in a minute we'll have Marissa on Marissa came to me because I worked uh I did one session with her business partner he had back pain for 12 months and after one single session 
no back pain and he still has no back pain now wow but to be fair this is we call this a book cure i've had a few people that have had book cures but for me- more we need to we need to deactivate that signal and figure out what's the if you've got any questions, I'm going to obviously going to be talking to you off air about my knee problems in a minute. Uh, but if you wanted to get in touch now, 4001 or the app, or of course, the phone line is open to 04871 Masters, it came to you earlier saying post-COVID fibromyalgia, is it real? Can you break that down for us in terms of even with the, some of those defining terms? Yes. Um, so fibromyalgia, of course, all pain is real. I've been there. Pain is absolutely real. I'm not suggesting it's not. Fibromyalgia in basic terms is when we have pain. It keeps coming in all different places in our body. The the doctors can't quite identify exactly what it is. And then it's kind of called fibromyalgia. Now, what this actually is from a chronic pain point of view, it's a very nervous nervous system Mm -hmm. that's firing signals, let's say, to the shoulder and when we don't get to the root cause of what that is, it goes, right, you're not listening to me here. I'm going to give you pain in your knees. I'm going to give you migraines. I'm going to give you this, whatever. And that's why people with chronic pain tend to have lots of different symptoms all at the same time, or they have many symptoms throughout a lifetime. So they have migraines when they're younger, then they have knee pain, then they have something else. So the root cause of fibromyalgia and the treatment for it, from my perspective and, and my training, is the exact same Thing I would do with someone with back pain. Which is what? Would you mind kind of breaking down, I guess demystifying yeah. a little bit yeah. about what might happen in a session? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I have a, a process I take people through and tailor it depending on what their knowledge is as they come in. The, it's the four Ps, so pain, teaching, literally teaching people about chronic pain and why they have it. Um, most of the clients I get from the States are so well-versed on this. They come to me on the back of podcasts. They've read more books on the subject. They're mm. experts. No need to do that with them. Um, the next part is personality, because there's certain personality types that are far more susceptible to chronic pain. Such as what? Such as who? Such as um, high empaths that take on everyone else's emotional uh, baggage, high achievers, um, People who are really responsible and never miss a deadline. Mm-hmm. It's it, really analytical overthinkers. It's people whose personality is putting pressure on themselves, which then is l- allowing the brain to think there is a physical threat, but there's not. It's that the threat is the their own personality. Wow. Okay. So number three, the third yes. P, Gemma. The third P is past. Um, if we have trauma in our childhood, there is. a a huge um, correlation between people who have childhood trauma and have pain as an adult. The idea of the body keeps the score. Yes, exactly the same theory. But the reason why, if if as a child, let's say you move house every so many years or you were at many different schools, every time this happens, your nervous system kicks in to protect you. And so your nervous system's going on, off, on, off. And then one day it's exhausted and and then it's now in high alert and it's looking for danger. So as you become an adult, your body's literally locked in this um, high alert situation and getting physical pain. So that, And then the final P, Gemma? The final P is practical tools. Um, I, I teach people somatic tracking. I do somatic tracking with people who... What's somatic tracking? So, sorry, I, you know, I, I live and breathe this stuff. Somatic tracking is where I will help someone to focus on their body. So let's say... 
I had a, a client once who she couldn't stand up. She was, a, a, I think she was about 50, 55. And she, her fear was that she wouldn't be able to carry, the, carry her grandchild. And it hadn't even been born yet. And she couldn't stand up from a chair without pressing her hands into the chair to stand up. So how can she carry the baby? So in a closed eye exercise, I, I got her to imagine sitting in the chair and doing it. And, even, and she couldn't do it. Then I, I took her to kind of a happy place in her body, got her to think about when she used to be a dancer and all of this. Her body relaxed and then she could easily stand up. And it's training the brain that is no physical danger. I want to ask you if there is a physical problem, how this can help in just a few minutes. We've had messages going, um, tell me more about her training, asking for your details, talking about chronic migraines for 20 years. Could this help? Um, with joining us in studio, we've got chronic pain coach Gemma McFall. <music> joining us live in studio is chronic pain coach Gemma McFall after her own chronic problems with her back um, started looking at a different way brain training if you will um, and we're speaking now to Marissa Marissa you've come through the other side of some of this uh, some of this work and bouncing into the studio today would you mind taking us back in time a little bit and tell us how bad the pain got when, and how you ultimately discovered Gemma yeah sure thank you um, so yeah I've always been really I would class as quite fit and healthy um, I have held really stressful jobs, so I was managing director in a big bank here, um, but I've never really felt, I guess, I didn't feel particularly stressed. Um, and then, yeah, I had a baby, had postnatal depression with that, had pneumonia, you know, just like the <laughs> mm-hmm. everything all together. I'd say the perfect storm, but the, <laughs> yeah. the, the imperfect storm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but I genuinely thought I was kind of out the weeds with that. Um, and I was leaving the gym one day and all of a sudden didn't even trip. I just felt like a, a real strong pain in the top of my foot. Um, and I left it, you know, a couple of months like you do with all these things. You just think, especially when you're a parent, and you're like, well, you know. It'll sort itself out. I haven't really got time to be addressing this right now. Yeah. If it's a baby problem, you're like straight to the paediatrician, no questions asked. So how long did it go on before you before you realised it actually wasn't getting any better? It was a few months. Um, and then I decided to go to the hospital. And, you know, being here, I was straight in for an MRI, um, something that I'd probably have waited a long time for back at home. Mm. So I had the MRI. Um, and when they talked me through the results, I was quite shocked honestly I thought that you know it would be a really long recovery process and I had to have an operation um, basically they found and they pointed out in the MRI that I had a lesion to the cartilage and if I didn't have an operation um, then I wouldn't be able to walk properly and yeah that would be it you know all the things that I love doing would be mm-hmm. off the table so I was literally booked in for surgery um, and it, the timing was a bit in- inconvenient and so my business partner said to me, he was like, look, I met this amazing lady. I had one session with her and it changed my life. I'd had back pain for 12 months. So, And you're going, oh, oh, tell, tell, <laughs> tell me more and tell me yesterday and let's get this. OK, so, I mean, we said earlier that one session is you know, probably on the, on the more kind of unicorn side, um, but absolutely worth a shot before you go under the knife. My gosh. So tell us a little bit about your experience of having this therapy with Gemma what did how did it go what were your preconceptions and how did it unfold yeah so I think before I think because of you know like I said with my work background and stuff I've always been a bit like I'll just get on and deal with it this sort of stuff doesn't affect me and so when I I was a bit apprehensive about meeting Gemma and I I wasn't sure that it would work for me um but even within kind of you know we had our initial chat and it took really three to four 
sessions before it started becoming more sustainable. But within, you know, the first session, I felt better already because we'd addressed that pain piece that I was scared of. Because mm. I remember saying to you, Gemma, in the in the first go, like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to jump or I'm not going to be able to run again. And I'm OK with that. And you were like, stop talking like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How could you be OK with that? Like, where's this mind shift come from? Um, and so, yeah, then we started working through it and you just really helped to retrain my brain over a number of sessions. Is, can I ask, we've had a, a question that was made me think as well. Is this a form of hypnotherapy or is it completely different? No, it's not hypnotherapy. I mean, the, the first few sessions is education. It's as simple as that. It's education. Um, the second part is around the personality and that's, I would describe that similar to executive coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, the past, the, some of the trauma for past, I do do techniques that will take people back into the past. Um, but it's not hypnotherapy. The person can come back anytime they want, you know, but only to help go to that emotion, process it and come back. I won't hold somebody in the past for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, So as we said, this is pain reprocessing therapy. Um, Gemma, I just want to come back to a message we had earlier because we've had a similar message from Rob saying, what about chronic pain and long COVID? Would you mind explaining a little bit about the COVID piece and, and how that's contributed to a lot of people's pain or perception of pain? Yeah, um... Yeah, so during, uh, I'd already got rid of my back pain um, and then COVID happened and my right eye started twitching like crazy. Like the throbby eye we get when we were tired? Yeah, or but worse. like all day, every day. No one oh, else no. could see it, but my eye was twitching. It was it was bizarre. But because I know what I know about this work, I thought, you know what, this is my eye twitching because I'm perceiving a, a physical threat and there's no physical threat. Um, and I thought, if my eye's twitching then physical symptoms are happening to people all around the world right now. And I think what happened with COVID, like Marissa was saying, we keep going, we keep going. Um, and it's easier to feel uh, physical pain rather than emotional pain. So just like Marissa, I, was n- I would never have described myself as stressed. Definitely would never have used the word anxiety. Yet I had back pain. Why? Because it's it's easier to have back pain than to address anything else. But can I ask then, there must be some people that have pain for very real physical reasons mm. um so would you mind I, 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 what i'm trying to kind of ascertain is that this can be hugely helpful in a lot of situations but necessarily a magic bullet for people who might have you know had a terrible break or you know, dislocation or you know whatever that might be how do you ascertain who's a good candidate for this yeah so a, a dislocation of a shoulder um ouch ouch um <laughs> could be um you address that with a medical professional if that shoulder's still hurting after three months that's chronic pain. And mm. that's where I can help. Okay. The way I assess people, if I can help, we're looking for evidence. So personality types, as we mentioned, um, possible things from the past doesn't even need to be big trauma and general beliefs around pain. It's sometimes useful to look back at people's parents and see what did your parents have when they were younger? Were they Did they have a lot of chronic pain as well? Um, or were they like, oh, your body will fix itself, which is the truth. T- your body tends to fix itself. So how are you, Marissa, now? Um, having having been through this and you said it was kind of, you know, three, four sessions of re-education around the concept of pain. You're talking about personality and past and I guess how that kind of showed up for you. Was it like a weird alleviation of the pain? Was it sudden? How did it feel or not feel? 
It was, so I say within the first couple of sessions, I noticed a difference because I was able to, when the pain kicked in, I was like, I'm going to think about something else now. Like, I know it hurts, but I don't need to like waddle down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to indulge this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I started to do that fairly quickly. And then after kind of, I said it was about over sort of four month period that just started to go away because I kept redirecting my brain and I remember I was going for a run and I'd done maybe just like a kilometre not too far but I was like this doesn't hurt anymore you know and at the gym last night for the first time I thought about you Gemma because I did I don't know what they're called but they were like squat box jump things and I just thought for me that would never have happened wow it must be very rewarding for you, Gemma, to hear about how yeah. people, I mean, have, you know, have overcome injury or avoided surgery. But, you know, for some people, chronic pain can completely dominate mm. in, the, in, the, in the worst possible way. How, how do you feel like your life has changed since you've started working with people on this? I'm almost in tears listening to her. Um, oh. the, the re, you know, everyone says, what's your why? Why do you do what you do? For me, I realise my why is not about the person I'm working with. My why is Marissa's kids, you know, like mm. it's the family. It's the people that live with the people with chronic pain. I, it, it, I, I really, it's yeah. making me emotional. I just think about where I was and the pain I was in and how grateful I was that somebody took the time to say, you know what, you don't need surgery. Mm-hmm. You need the, the issue is the pain signals in the brain, not the spine, you know. You work with people on, you know, one-to-one, but you also go in and, and work with companies as well. Um, just we've only got a minute left, but I think in, in terms of how workplaces can be more tuned into this, what would you what do you wish that, you know, HR, hire, you know, hiring managers, you know, people who are in a position to make some changes in the workplace need to know about pain and how it can affect their employees? Yeah, give me a call. I think um, I do workshops to, to staff, but also I think right now there's a lot of companies paying for executive coaching. Mm-hmm. The last client I had, his company paid for him to have six sessions with me. And now, I mean, he was like the top, one of the top guys. Now he's got no pain, you know. We've had a number of questions of people saying, um, you know, can this help with this? Can this help with that? One was a, a migraine there, chronic migraine for over 20 years. Um, I think you've said, you said off air that that's something you can help with. So if anyone wants the details, again, with your permission, if you send me the words no pain to 4001, I will send you the website. And um, we've also had a people asking about the book recommendation that you had earlier. So lastly, Gemma, the, if anyone wants to do their own reading on this as well and start doing their own work, what's the name of that book, if you don't yeah, mind? Yeah, the book, uh, it's uh, The Way Out by Alan Gordon. I, I recommend it to clients and it's who I trained with there are many books I'm happy to send resources out to anyone amazing guys Marissa it's great to have you in great health bounding into the studio I will not be joining you on the horrendous box jumps but I'm pleased for you Um, and Gemma McFall thank you so much I think it's a topic that is really in need of re-education and it sounds like you're doing some great work around that Not to sound like a Debbie Downer, but it's divorce month, January notorious for having the highest rates of divorce filings. But why? How can you avoid being part of that statistic? And if you are separating, how to put your family first? All of this and more with our next guest. Leilani Rooks is from Wildflower Family Coaching. Leilani, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I'm great today. How are you? I'm good. I bet you're very busy right now. Yeah, it's a busy time of year for this work. We're going to talk about a kind of what you do and specific to divorce soon, but I want to know a little bit about why, why you do. What's your mission when it comes to coaching families in particular? We hear an awful lot about executive coaching, about 
you know, life coaching, you know, marriage counselling we're going to touch on as well. But w- what about that family piece as a unit? Why was that a priority for you? Yeah, you know, I think that our families are so important. You know, we can't escape it. We come from a family. We're in a family, whatever that configuration looks like. And it's always going to be a part of our future, whether we're con- how connected we are to them or not. Mm. And so families are just central to everyone's life. And we don't get to choose them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Certainly ones that we come from. But, you know, the way that we are raised, the behaviours that we're surrounded by, the philosophies that were, you know, kind of become part of our the way we think. It, there can be a lot of unlearning to do about how we're brought up. But also I think it's a real choice to tune into how we want to perhaps do different or do better. Um, what are some of the things that you're helping families with in Dubai right now? Um, yeah, so I, there's a wide range of things. You know, a lot of us aren't sharing everything that we're coping with in our families at any given time. And my main goal is really to help people find peace within their families and to feel connected, feel effective, and feel respected within their family. Uh, my main my main mission with that is that you know the world is chaotic and stressful on the outside, and families want peace and deserve peace when they walk into their homes. It mm-hmm. should be a solace from the stressful outside world and not the opposite. So a lot of what I'm helping with families with is just achieving that, whether that's with their partners in a romantic relationship, whether that's with their children or sometimes even within themselves, just working through whatever might come up. That's interesting in term, because when I speak to people who you know, are stressed, um, yes, there's the work piece about you know financial worries or being overworked and burnout and I think a lot of people would love the idea of you know coming home and closing the door behind them and going and breathe. But sometimes that can be the start of a whole other set of problems. And I'm not a big fan of the word triggers because I feel like it's often misused. But it's funny there you're talking about doing work on yourself, you know, things that in parenting in particular or in relationships, things that, yeah, can can trigger you and and why? Because it it's so personal. It's an, you know, even between a couple who are very much on the same page. The, the way you approach parenting and the way you, you respond to a child's behavior can be completely different. And it's a, that, but it's a choice. It's a choice to, to self-reflect Absolutely. and it's a choice to do the work. Yes. Um, let's talk divorce. Um, January, as I said, the numbers are... Well, interestingly, divorce rates, and I, I don't think we've got much specific data for the region, but when we look elsewhere, certainly out of the UK, the rate of divorce is about 42 to 45%, depending on the region. And that's actually been pretty stable, to my understanding, for the last decade or so. I still think that's a very, very high number. Yeah. Um, when we're thinking about January in particular, why are we seeing more phone calls to lawyers than ever before, Leilani? Yeah, and I, so divorce day is considered the first working day of the year, and we just see a lot of divorce filings and people interested in filing for divorce around that time. And I have some theories on that. One, I think the main theory is kind of that people come in with New Year's resolutions, you know, New Year, new me, and maybe that's single me as well. Um, how can I improve my life best while getting rid of this person that's bringing me down or that I think is bringing me down? I also think that it really has a lot to do with it being right after the holidays. You know, we put so much expectations and pressure on the holiday season. And if it's and we're together with our family quite a lot in that time or more so than usual, perhaps. And so definitely more so than usual. Right. So we're with our kids or with our partners. We're all together. And so that's prime time to remember or kind of have to face any conflicts that we have. Mm -hmm. And it can be a breaking point for a lot of people when it doesn't reach that expectation of 
joyful, peaceful family time. And the comparisons of what everyone else is doing on Instagram. Joining us in studio as we talk about future-proofing your marriage and ultimately separating in a way that puts your child first. We have got Lilani Rooks from Wildflower Family Coaching. She's got a background in marriage counselling and now works with families as well. And I wanted to ask you, when you are working with couples who are thinking about divorce or are about to, well, actually, a better question is when do couples come and see you? I think for a lot of couples, when they tend to reach out for external support is when it's kind of like a last-ditch effort. They've tried other things. Maybe they've kind of been putting off the issues for a little while and maybe even considered coaching or counseling multiple times. And when they finally reach out is often when they're at their breaking point. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the work you can do then, is it a case of, you know, should I stay or should I go? And if you decide to go, how can we do this in a way that is, I guess, ultimately going to ensure a happy family um, in, in in a different configuration? Because... I'm, I'm, and I'm grateful for it. I feel like there has been a bit of a mindset shift over the last few years that, you know, a good relationship or a successful relationship isn't necessarily one that lasts forever. Sometimes it can be one that, you know, you meet and you have an amazing time and you might be lucky enough to have some amazing children. And it ends when it ends and knowing when to call it can mm-hmm. often be a sign of success in itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of people think that the the end goal of any any sessions would be to stick together. And at the same time, I'm very open with my couples that my client is your relationship and my goal is to find the best end point for your relationship, the best, the the place to find the most peace, Mm -hmm. right? If that's our goal. And sometimes that is through separation, through divorce. And that doesn't mean failure. It simply means that's how you all are going to have peace as a family, particularly if there are children Sometimes peace as a family means not living in the same household or not being married anymore. And that's okay. You've answered the question that's just come in on the text line from B saying, um, do you think it's better for a child to grow up in a fairly unhappy, not violent or distressing, but no love between the mother and the father, um, a fairly unhappy home or to be from a quote unquote broken home? Mm, It's a really great question. I think this is something that a lot of couples struggle with is that they don't want their children to be from a broken home. They don't want their children to feel like the parents have failed them. And I think when it comes down to it, asking yourself, what does my family need? How would it look for my children if our, in our current status? How would it look for my children to grow up with this conflict, mm-hmm. with this tension? How is it impacting them now? How might it impact them in the future and vice versa? If we separate and we do this peacefully and we, we figure it out, how might that impact my children? What, what could it look like in the future? And when we're weighing the pros and cons, really figuring out for your own family, you know, searching your own heart, what do I think is going to most benefit my children? Mm-hmm. I had... Um I don't know if you've read Untamed by Glennon Doyle, but I've read it a couple of times. And it's interesting. We're talking about self-help books in about an hour's time. It's funny how when you read self-development books or memoirs, how no, however you are in your life, so you connect with different bits of information. You kind of learn different things in different ways. But when I read that first one, she was talking about her, her husband had been unfaithful. And it, this was something they were wrestling with is, you know, do we continue in a relationship that really isn't happy? Mm. 
um, for the children. And it really was. You know, we see a lot of kind of latest age divorces, you know, when kids get to, you know, 18, 20 and they've left the home because it's like, okay, we don't need to keep up that, you know, facade anymore. Um, And Glenn Doyle's point was, well, what would I want for my children? You know, what example am I setting to them about what love and marriage is? that I'm effectively settling for unhappiness in my own life for them. And she's like, I'd be heartbroken if that was my child, you know, who was settling for the same. So I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about what what am I teaching my children about love and self-worth and yeah. happiness? What am I modeling for my child by staying in this relationship that's unhappy? And what am I modeling for them if if I end the relationship. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about why people are getting divorced in Dubai? Um, as I said, I, I speak to a, a lot of fantastic family lawyers on the show and I said to Madeline Mundy recently, and said, you know, if, if, a friend, if a friend came to you saying, I want to get divorced, what would your first bit of advice be as a lawyer? And she was like, get marriage counselling. <laughs> whether you decide together to stay yeah. together, whether you decide to separate. Um, what are some of the commonly cited reasons or stresses and strains that we're seeing in the UAE? I think... In Dubai and in the UAE, it's a little, it's different than other places in a sense in that it's a it's a pretty fast-paced lifestyle, right? There's so many opportunities here. There's so much to do. There's so much excitement. And that does, within those opportunities, may give a lot of opportunities to distance yourself from your partner, to search outside the relationship, to escape when there is conflict, to find something else to do. There's always something going on, which is fantastic. And at the same time, if you're constantly going out on in the evenings or on the weekends to avoid having to spend time with your family or with your partner, um, that's not going to be as helpful, mm-hmm. right? So in the pandemic, a lot of people either got closer or kind of fell farther apart. And there was a reason for that, right? We were face, We were forced to spend time with our partners, with our families, and that means facing conflict and working through it as well. But when we have so many opportunities here, so much fun, um, it can be to the detriment of the relationship if we're kind of using it as an escape rather than facing the tension and working through it. What are some of the early warning signs that couples should be aware of that the relationship could be souring, that separation might be on the cards, that you think as a therapist you should take seriously? In general, we know that having contempt for your partner or not, like really avoiding your partner, not wanting to deal with the conflict with them is a huge warning sign. Of course, we're going to have periods of time where, you know, ups and downs, and that's okay. And at the same time, if we find that we're really not liking them as a person anymore, when we have the opportunity to spend time with them and we don't want to, um, when we're losing respect for them, not as, even as a partner, but as a person or as a parent, mm-hmm. these are these are big signs. Um, the resentment is a huge one. When we're starting to feel resentful of our partner uh, for little things or big things, that is something that can really easily kill a relationship. The Four Horsemen. That's the, right. The Gottman Institute yes. for anyone. that it, it's, it's really interesting that they have criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and you said exactly that contempt. Mm -hmm. Very hard to get past that. Um, Joining us in studio from Wildflower Family Coaching, Leilani Rooks is with us today. (laughs) Joining us from Wildflower Family Coaching, Leilani Rooks, and we're talking about divorce, some of the early signs that a couple should not ignore, um, and ultimately separating with the children in mind. I wanted to ask 
you that and I know what your answer is going to be. It's going to be, it depends on the age of the children. But if you are deciding to separate, um, how do you start to talk to your children about it, Leilani? I think the main thing is that it's very intentional between you and your partner, that it's not saying it in a a state of emotion or one parent telling, if possible, not one parent telling, telling the children, but rather coming together in kind of a family meeting. And whether that really that that doesn't matter what age your children are, even if they're little and even if they can't really fully understand the concept, making it kind of coming from it from a loving place in a place of family unity. This mm-hmm. is something we're doing and have decided as a family and we're going to work through this together. So making it, you know, I'm all about family kind of sit downs and meetings. So whether kind of making it special, even though it's not necessarily the most special of occasion, but, you know, getting it a dinner that everyone enjoys telling, prefacing it with how much you love them and and the strengths of your family, kind of the the sandwich technique, right? Starting with something that is positive and and that is really great about the family, discussing the separation and what that's going to look like initially, and then ending again with just the loving aspect in that that you and your partner are there to support the children through it and, and you love them and just the positive bit of it as well. And I think that's the main thing is that even if it's a contentious separation, even if you can't even look your partner in the eye during this meeting, that you're coming for as much as you can as a united front to your children. I, th- I thank you for raising the fact that it's not going to be an easy conversation, especially if that separation is a contentious one. And again, coming back to the family lawyers I've spoken in the past, they're saying, you know, so many couples come into this divorce process with the best of intentions. That, you know, we are going to smash this. We're going to be the best divorced couple ever. And then it can get nasty. And it can get nasty really quick. I heard a story the other day that someone had his wife's dog put down because he wanted... I was like, this is wild. But from furry friends to our children. Um, these are the ones that we know we need to be having front and centre in all of those discussions rather than this point scoring, which sounds like it can come up time and time again. So in terms of moving forward, um, what are some of the ways that you would recommend a couple that is separating to have their kids as a priority? I think just always trying to see it from their perspective and not making it about you and even more important, not making it about your partner. Because so often couples and individuals get wrapped up in, well, my emotions, I'm, I'm overtaken with emotions and frustration and resentment and anger and the ego takes over, mm-hmm. right? And the, and the ego is like, right, I'm going to hurt this person back. I'm going to make, you know, misery needs company. And so we're going into it. We're making decisions from that perspective rather than from a perspective of what does my child need right now? What do I need right now as well? But really managing the emotions in a, in, a, in a healthy way rather than kind of having an adult tantrum about it yeah. and, and trying to hurt your partner through the children. So reacting from hurt and anger, as you say, yeah. in terms of lashing out. Okay. Um, Basma got in touch earlier saying, Hi both. How can families from different cultural backgrounds bridge the gaps in their values, their beliefs, to build a strong foundation and reduce the risk of divorce? We're talking earlier about kind of some Dubai-specific um, issues that can come up when it comes to separating. And I think... You know, it's an absolute blessing how diverse the city is, but it's interesting to think about how many couples are from different backgrounds, different cultures, different religions, um, and, you know, hugely enriching a lot of the time, but having those fundamental beliefs can often clash. What, are there anything anything that comes to mind? And I'm not sure if Basma's asking for herself or it's just for, for general advice. 
Yeah, you know, I think that the first place I would start is to go back to the beginning. What was what drew you to that person and their different culture in the first place? What did you admire about their culture? What did you admire about how they or their family did things? And what was positive about that? And trying to take it from a strength-based approach, even within the differences. Mm -hmm. So having really intentional conversations where you're lifting your partner and their culture up as well. I really love that you and your family did this, this, and this. I want to carry that on with my kids. I'm not so sure about this, this, and this, or I'm concerned about how that would mesh with my, you know, my expectations with my culture on this, this, and this. So always taking it from a strength-based approach where your partner doesn't feel like they're being attacked Mm -hmm. or that their culture is wrong or... That's exactly what I have to say. It would be very easy to say, you know, I'm right, you're wrong because this is all I've ever known and what you're doing or how you behave or this, whatever it is, is fundamentally other, foreign for want of a better phrase. But no one is 100% right or wrong in those situations. No, and you know what? I think that really... Um, this is every family setup. Every family, every couple comes into it with different family cultures and different family upbringings. Mm-hmm. It, no one is going to have the exact same family culture that they came from, um, whether that's race or, or language or play, you know birthplace or, or anything. Even if you're from, have all of those in, simil- in similarities, it's going to be different based on how you were raised. Mm-hmm. And so there's always going to be that conversation of, I, it's really important for me to carry this on in our family. And also, how can we make new traditions, new rituals in our family and kind of create our own family culture based on and, and respecting and honoring our different cultures, but kind of creating a mesh that we're both happy with? Continuing Basma's question, I guess it, I, we are still in January and I know we're all a bit sick about resolution chat. However, when we think about relationship resolutions and future-proofing our relationships for this year and beyond, Lilani. What would you love, you know, couples in particular listening today to do more of, do less of, try, adjust, um, to improve anything, you know, from, you know, communication to time spent together? If you could wave a magic wand, what, what, what would you be doing? Just talk more. Just open communication um, and honest communication without the pretenses without the, the the tantrums without any of it just being open with each other um taking each taking the tension and the conflict seriously and also not taking it seriously at all and <laughs> i know that sounds a little contradictory but what i mean by that is like if you have a if you have tension with your partner and it's kind of you know really bothering you or sticking with you for a couple hours or, or a couple days whatever bring it up even mm-hmm. if that's just about the socks on the ground right like be open about that talk about that and at the same time don't don't take it seriously in that not every tension not every conflict not every thing means that your partner is a terrible por- person or that they're never going to change or that your relationship is doomed um so take it seriously in that you communicate about it but don't take it seriously in that you're catastrophizing every little thing I was listening to uh, the philosopher Alain de Botton recently and he was talking about how, you know, a lot of us are real romantics. And when there is conflict, when there is a fight, it's so easy, it's so tempting to think, well, that just means we're not meant to be together. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely not the case. You know, mm-hmm. couples, we need to have a bit of a ding dong sometimes, but it's, it's, it's fighting in a way that, as you said, is respectful and constructive. Um, easier said than done <laughs> absolutely easier said than done but you know what every everyone should have conflict everyone should have some tension and it's just a matter of 
if you can make it productive and and get something from it. Um, how if you are fighting? Yeah. How often would would it be a problematic timetable? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. You know what? I think that I think it actually depends because. They're, speaking of culture, right? There are some cultures that are very passionate, fiery, fiery, yes, and just like to kind of bicker, and it's not out of ill will necessarily, or even taken as as an argument, but it just from the outside perspective may look so, right? Mm-hmm. And there are certainly cultures that that's kind of the norm that everyone's kind of shouting at each other or whatever, and but I think it, it it's based on every couple and how it feels to you. If you feel like you know what, I'm more often than not at like feeling unease in this relationship or feeling on like we're going to get into it if I say the wrong thing, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. If it's such that we have arguments now and then, but we are able to repair afterwards, we're able to move past it, even if that happens, and especially with young children, even if that happens a couple times a week, then, you know, that's okay. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. It's been really interesting to to think about where we are in terms of divorce in Dubai, but also, you know, what can be. Um, when You don't just help with divorce, Leilani, for, right? for, um, <laughs> for anyone that wants to reach out and, you know, it can be connection with kids, which I'd love to talk to you about. I think it's a really, really important one, no matter how old our children are um, or indeed any aspect of family coaching. Um, are we okay to share your details? Where can we find you? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram quite often. That's uh, at wildflower.family.coaching. Uh, you can find pretty much all my information there. You can also, if you're not an Instagram person, find me at uh, wildflowerfamilycollective.com and you can find all in, all of my information at either of those places. Thank you so much. I love this from Melvin. It's just come in saying, always attack the problem together. Don't attack the person. That's mm, right. Melvin, you're so wise. I'm going to message you about coming your on turn as a next. guest. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the hot seat next. Leilani, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. this hour is working from home damaging your career well according to figures from live data technologies remote employees are promoted 31 percent less often than workers who commute into the office so talking now to business and career coach progression recruiter author of the 30-day job search we've got hamza zuwali joining us live hamza how are you i'm very good helen how are you i'm really well thank you i feel like I don't know if it was going back to work and school on the 2nd of January, but I just feel like Dubai is buzzing from the roads to the email boxes. How? What's your read on 2024 so far? Well, it's definitely buzzing on the recruitment side as well. It, it's really, really busy. Um, it, it, um, you know, it seems that it's a continuation of last year, mm-hmm. um, but, but just even better. So, even better? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um and then when you're saying really busy, are, are there any kind of specific industries or job levels where you feel like there's a lot of activity right now? So it's, it's a bit early in the year to, to, to kind of um, notice some trends in terms of industry or, or job sectors. We, we do executive search at Iris Executive. So we, we, we notice a lot of memorization and expats at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would believe it's the same thing under on a sort of mid-management level as well. Interesting. Okay, let's get to this study. Saying for 31... You're promoted 31% less often if you work from home. 
Now, we've seen huge changes, of course, when it comes to hybrid and flexible working over, I was going to say three years, but we're 2024, so it's coming up to four years as a result of the pandemic. And we saw companies and job roles who'd historically said, there's no way you could work remotely. You need to be in your office to suddenly going, well, do you know what? <laughs> we need we need to run a business. So if you could work from home, that would be fantastic. Um, before we get to the point of this study and, and really examine the nuts and bolts of if you think that is accurate, what is the current lay of the land when it comes to people in the UAE working remotely, a hybrid? Hy- what, any data on it and who's doing what? I'll I tell you something. The, the, the government companies seem to be leading the way in um, a lot of the government companies you speak to have at least one day in the week where they encourage people to work remotely. So it's not, it's not an option. It's actually an encouragement. A lot of these times, um, a lot of the time it, it's on Fridays where, where there's a strong emphasis on, on, on really trying to push people to stay at home and to uh, do that remotely. But this is um, what, what we've seen. The, the government seems to be uh, definitely a big player in this. So, so that's good. I haven't seen yet a company that would say, well, we, we're going to do half of the time at home. And there's usually one or two days that people can work remotely, mm-hmm. which is great. So, And when it comes to when you're, speak, when you're dealing with people who are looking to be recruited, is hybrid still seen as desirable? Is it, you know, what, what do people want? It, can it be a deciding factor in terms of even the kind of company they end up working for? And more and more. So usually we, we are headhunters. So when we approach someone, um, our, in our case, it's usually someone that's not actively looking, but his skill set is quite scarce and, and, and we can approach him uh, or her. And uh, usually these um, profiles have already remote work integrate in their um, week. So, so it's very hard, and I think employers are understanding this more and more, to attract quality people um, nowadays if you don't have a remote, um, you know, a policy for remote work as well in your company, because usually these people might, most of the time, will have one, two, three days mm-hmm. where they can stay at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, 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 it's almost a competitive must-have um, if you're serious about attracting super, um, super senior profiles um, in, in any field, to be honest. So let's go back to that live data technologies. Are you, do you believe less likely to get promoted if you are not in the office? Yes, but, but not in a negative way. So, so let, me, let me perhaps explain what I, what I understand and, and my experience around that. The, the, the way people get promoted, Helen, is, is very much, uh, you know, on a constant basis, daily, there's a spontaneity towards coaching people, towards mentoring people. So it's not, so, see, if we were to work together, for example, I would need to, uh, and let's say you are actually my manager, you would need to see me at work enough times to understand the gaps that I need mentoring on, that I need training on, in order for me to go to that next level. If I reduce your opportunities to see me, to observe me by 50%, immediately I'm going to be noticing other people. I'm going to coach other people. I'm going to be more likely 
to promote other people because they've been coached, they've been growing um, um, more on a daily basis, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I don't think there is a um, sort of, you know, almost like a discrimination between people that come to the office and people that stay away. It's just that the way people get, you know, mentored is very, very spontaneous. Of course, you have those training programs. Of course, you have... But a lot of the time is based on personality, mm-hmm. is based on attitude, is based on a lot of these things that can only kind of be polished once we, we see them enough, can only be observed and monitored once we see them enough in front of us, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. the last thing I would say about that study is that if we look at the grand scheme of things, we, this is fairly new still, you know, and I think as much as companies have been forced to adapt to the COVID era, um, the, there's still uh, adaptation that's necessary for, for example, HR to be able to evaluate or put some performance appraisal in place that are adapted to, you know, uh, th- this new area of, you know, part-time that's going to be remote. Um, so, so there's still work in progress to, to, towards that. But at the same time, um, if you have people that come to the office, they're going to build a relationship much more with the boss, with the manager, than people that come less. Makes sense. Um, th- that's also something that... Go ahead. No, it, I think... Uh, for a long time, we had this idea of kind of presenteeism and, and, and bums on seats. Um, and, you know, well, you should trust me to, you know, to do my work even when you can't see me. But as you say, it's not necessarily about um, lack of trust. Sometimes it's about, you know, building trust and continuing to build on yeah. relationships and take advantage of opportunities and overhearing conversations. And I know certainly when I was starting out, um, the amount I learned from the guy sitting opposite me was unbelievable and it wasn't a formal training program you know we were selling advertising space you know it was listening to him on calls it was hearing the phrases and it was it was completely enriching and while it might not be a a for you know a formal you know you are going to learn how to sell adverts Helen it was an absolute master class from someone who'd been doing it for decades and I think everyone can, can relate to that. Everyone can relate to that. There, there's a huge amount of spontaneity in what you learn and how you grow when you are just literally, literally exposed to other human beings. Um, and, and remote work is going to um, make that a little bit more, a little bit less accessible. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, remote work is going to be very factual, result-driven numbers. You have a report to do before this time. All right, boss. I'll do it. Just leave, let me be. I'll manage my time. I'm at home. I'll do it. But you won't have the social interaction where there's an enormous... I remember myself just listening to how people were talking. I was learning, oh, my God, that's such a nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that's such a nice way. You, you know, and, and that, you know, at the end of the day, if you ask me today, um, would you, are you at the stage of your career where you would need to be present more or maybe remote work is more important to you. I think the choice is really around that because if I know that, uh, well, I know my job, I know what to do, I don't expect much more, um, then remote work is, is 
the, the you know the thing that I would cherish the most at the moment. Mm-hmm. But if you are in your twenties and starting, uh, where you just want to absorb as much as you as you can, then I would try and be in the office and try and be um, present, exposed to even the people who are, that work remotely that would come twice a week, I would try and stay close to the, these people as much as possible. So it depends on, the, you yeah, know, for me it's not... Your priorities, your life stage, your exactly. your goals. All right, well, Hamza Zawali with us today, an author, professional recruiter, career and business coach. It is Tuesday afternoon and joining us now, Hamza Zawali. He is an author of the 30-day job search book, an absolute cracking read for anyone that is on the lookout. And we're picking his brains now. We've just been talking there about remote employees are promoted 20, sorry, are promoted 31% less often than workers that commute into the office. Um, so when we're looking at trends for 2024, Hamza, you know, what are you advising uh, when it comes to well, let's start with the finding the dream job. Any predictions for industries that are going to be kind of popping this year or indeed how we can get ourselves up to scratch for a very competitive job market? I think avoid the competition is the, the, the main thing that I would advise. There's more and more competition. Um, and we have to remember that places like Dubai and Abu Dhabi are, you, you compete not just with the people locally, but with the people internationally Mm -hmm. so you know we are still companies are still hiring from so many countries around the world so if there's if there's one thing that's specific to this job market is that there's a huge amount of competition trying to find ways where you avoid the competition is going to be absolute key and of course i'm talking about um network i'm talking about the people that you already know it's fascinating to me how I spoke to a friend of mine recently. He's looking for work at the moment, and he's worked in very big companies, and I told him, hey, why don't you get back in touch with the previous colleagues? Maybe they evolved. No, I don't want to bother. I don't want to look desperate. Don't want to sound. And, well, you will sound desperate if you don't, you know, build a network and and, and sort of um, maintain it throughout the years mm-hmm. before you start looking for work. Yeah. Um, going back to your network, you know, because I know Helen, hey, Helen, I'm looking for work, but I haven't spoken to you for 10 years. Mm, that's, that's not doesn't sit very well, me. does it? No. No. That, that's the thing. So um, anything that's going to be um, making you either super, super sort of the 1%, um, you know, uh, in the market that, that actually has this. So, for example, Believe it or not, having an amazing CV is rare, even at the CEO level. It's unbelievable how CVs are poor. We see hundreds of CVs every day. Mm. Um, and having an amazing CV can be a huge differentiator. Uh, having a great LinkedIn profile, huge differentiator. It's basically be noticed. If you have to be in the crowd, well, make sure you don't just do and repeat what everyone else is doing because nobody's seeing you. Um, it, it's you know, read books, do what you have to do to be unique, absolutely unique. Um, that, that's another way to, to, to sort of shine. Um, the, the, you know, Helen, the, the thing is, everything is very, very logical when it comes to um, looking for work or, or for employers to look for profiles. They use keywords. If you have these keywords, 
profile is going to come up. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, you don't know what keywords they would be looking at. You don't know what KPIs and results they're going to put as keywords, and they're not on your CV. And, and, and people struggle, unfortunately. So, so it's, it's really understanding how things work, trying to find ways where, you know what, if you have a parent's friend that is, you know, well-positioned in the company, now is the time to say, hey, you know what, try me out one day, you, you know, and, and let's see how, uh, if, I can, if I can help you. Um, now is the time to, to try and, um, you know, uh, connect with people that are not necessarily advertising their jobs online. Uh, most of the jobs, by the way, are not going to be advertised online. Well, most I, that, of the jobs before... Go ahead. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. In terms of crafting that email um, or that LinkedIn message to someone who might work in a sector or even a, you know, a specific company that you are interested in working for or working with, how can you reach out without sounding like ultimately you want to be buying them a coffee and asking for a job offer you know how can you offer value i guess is what i'm asking sure yeah and and well the first rule is to not ask for a job the first rule is to ask um is to say i can i can that you can help them that you can literally help them they can use you the way they they feel is a better fit for the company and for for their goals um, and you would love to, to, to tell them. Um, the, 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 nobody's interested in people looking for work. Because, because how do you differentiate between people looking for work? Everyone thinks they can adapt, they can learn. What makes the difference is the always and always will make the difference is the attitude. Mm-hmm. It's how you approach people. So, so when you approach someone and you say, hey, first of all, you show him that you took time to look at his LinkedIn profile and you say you're impressed. In fact, I would love to become um, someone like you in maybe five to 10 years under the correct mentorship, which brings me to my message today. Um, I would love to learn from you. Is there anything that I can help you with? Um, more than happy to get on a call or, or come and meet you at your office. Um, that is different, Helen. Do, do you get my point? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, rather it's, going, hi, wondering if I buy you a coffee, see if there's any opportunities in your company, rather than saying, yeah. you know, I've had a look at what you're doing, really excited about, you know, what you're working on. I've got some great ideas. Hopefully you'd find them useful, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Um, much more appealing to, to someone who probably gets a lot of LinkedIn messages and, and unsolicited emails as well. Um, Hamza, we... You don't want to sound opportunistic. Exactly. You, you want to sound... Yeah. Um, and well, you mentioned earlier about having a great CV. What are some CV sins to avoid in 2024? Uh, the, 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 the list is long, but I'm, I'm, if you don't mind, Helen, I'm going to give you a, a, a four-letter uh, acronym to review your CV with. And if you, if you have this, you will immediately notice um, where there are issues. Um, and the four-letter acronym is RANK, like ranking the list of CVs or whatever. RANK, R-A-N-K. So R is for results. Don't put a CV, don't write a CV that's a job description. Mm-hmm. Write a CV where you show what you've accomplished for, not yourself, but the company. One year of you, two years of you, six months of you, has it done to the company. 
think about KPIs, think about, you know, any types of results, money, audience, you know, traffic, whatever your field is. Mm-hmm. Um, a is for action verb. Use verb where people that can trigger the employer's imagination, the recruiter's imagination to see you at work. Action verbs are so powerful because the more you read them and the more you imagine that person doing at work, and that's really, really a powerful thing. N, um, so, so N is for numbers. The, the, the world of companies, you know, communicate in numbers. The world of job seekers communicate in words, but companies, it's all about budget, KPIs, um, you know, productivity, salary, etc. It's, it's all numbers. Mm-hmm. It's number driven. Mm-hmm. So use numbers. You know, don't say I was in charge of doing X, Y, Z, but just say I have been able to do X, Y, Z in less than three months. Use numbers because that that's going to to to, to make you shine. And finally, it's keywords. A K for keywords. So use the keywords that you know they're going to type in order to find profiles like yours. Look at the job description. They're full of keywords. They're full of keywords. And you can use some of these keywords to say, you know what, I'm going to put them not just once, but the main keywords, I'm going to try and repeat them so that you have keyword density. If you have these four elements, you can look at your CV you know, and see immediately what's missing. I love that. Hamza, thank you so much. Um, you delve into this and so much more in the book. It's on Amazon. Would you mind just giving it a final mention for anyone that is looking to, well, start having some conversations? You know, it might not be an immediate need, but perhaps want to work on themselves and come out even stronger in 2024. What's the name of the book and where can we get it? Absolutely. It's called The 30 Days Job Search. And it's the story of someone that lost her job in Dubai. it's not a patronizing book where we say, hey, do this, don't do that, make sure you do this, make sure... No, it's a story of someone that's going to come across all the hurdles you can imagine. And she only has one month to find work. Through this journey, I'm just going to give so many tips that people have no clue about that are going to literally transform um, their their job search. So it's on Amazon.com. It's actually won the... Um, golden medal of the reader's favorite so Mm. you know hopefully um, it's going to be a very very interesting read for a lot of people well thank you so so much we will of course continue to have conversations with you and pick your brains throughout the year ahead but wishing you and yours a wonderfully happy healthy successful busy but not too busy 2024 how does that sound you too (laughs) take care thanks Hamza really appreciate it so much And guys, if you want information on that book, send me the word book to 4001. I'd be very happy to send you that link. Have a good one. Talking books now, one of my favourite, favourite topics. Although I have to say I'm more of a fiction girl, but maybe our next guest can change my mind. Um, Heather Hitley, certified career coach, personal development enthusiast and the founder of Dubai's, to my knowledge, first self-development book club. Already more than 40 members. Happy New Year, Heather. How are you? Fine, thank you. Happy New Year to you too. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, now, let's let's start, if you don't mind, a little bit about you and why you're so passionate about helping other people become their best selves in 2024. Tell us a little bit about some of your passions around what you do and why you do it. 
Yeah, I think I just started reading self-development books a long time ago and realised I was one of the only ones that seemed to read them. Everyone else was reading fiction and watching all the, you know, reading all the books that were turned into big movies. And I was there learning about mindset and how to change and all these things. So I always just thought it was something that, that I just did on my own and it was a little bit quirky about me. Um, and I always read them. And it's really when I started putting out there on Instagram, if anyone else was interested, I got a few people start to say, yeah, that'd be quite nice to join. And I think people are looking for things in Dubai as well that give them an other thing to do other than your normal social stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely absolutely bang on. And obviously, obviously dovetails very nicely with the work that you do professionally in terms of coaching people. But sometimes that can be beyond people's time or budget. And, you know, to be able to pick up a book and say, you know, I can do this on my own timeline. Um, so, OK, I have so many questions. How do you think reading does add to our sense of well-being and reading these kind of books in particular, Heather? Yeah, I think especially self-development books, self-help books, I think the two main areas would be the self-care aspect and the actual self-development aspect. So in terms of self-care, there's just the element of having time alone Mm -hmm. is a huge thing for a lot of people. We don't often put a certain amount of time aside for ourselves in silence um, to escape into another world. So there's that kind of element of just putting time aside for yourself. The escapism that you can just get completely into it. Maybe not as much as fiction, but then leads into the motivation and the personal development side of things that it really can motivate you to make huge changes in your life. It can. I think so much of it can come down to you feeling ready to pick up a book and to prioritise it and to connect with it. You know, I've had books in the past I've picked up and like, God, this is absolute garbage. But then Mm -hmm. two years later, gone back to the same book and gone oh gosh, like that's really speaking to me yeah. now, if that makes sense. Um, but it's a huge industry. So many books in this space, you know, in terms of, you know, relationships, friendships, um, self-work, you know, gratitude. I mean, the journal market is enormous in itself, you know, when they get into, into careers. How yeah. on earth do you pick the books? Because <laughs> there, there must be a temptation to create a bit of an echo chamber, you know, to, to, to read things that are familiar, that you might agree with. And then you might necessarily be venturing out into things you could be, you know, expanding into. How do you pick the books? Well, me personally, I read books on the side as well. Within the book club itself, I just choose four random ones that I found on Amazon and I put them out there into the WhatsApp chat for the girls to choose which one they vote for for that month. And then we all read it. Personally... It's, it's trying to find things that are interesting to you. So if you're more into the mindset aspect, there's so many books on that. You might be more into the spiritual side of things or you might be more practical, like how to set up something, how mm-hmm. to um, recover from something. So it really depends on, like you were saying before, the time that you're at and knowing where you are in that journey of trying to improve yourself. I think the idea of a book club is a really good one because... To my mind, we often learn more about something or we explore it or we form our own opinions by discussing it. You know, it's quite easy to read something in, in isolation and be like, well, OK, that was interesting. But when mm-hmm. you're challenging other people on it, when you're like, oh, you know, 
I said earlier, I was talking about Glenn Doyle's book, Untamed, which I've read a couple of times. And it's really interesting that you, different people connect with different aspects of books. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh, I completely skipped past that. And that, that's really hooked it into, into their brain. Um, what do you think some of the benefits are of having this kind of environment for reading books, if not together in the same room, but independently, but then coming together, Heather? I think it comes back to what we said before about like putting the time aside and dedicating it to reading it. If you're in a book club and you know that you're going to meet up at the end of the month and discuss it, of course it's very casual. You know, it's not strict and that you have to have read it. You can come along even if you've not bought the book. Um, but it gives you that motivation to say, I'm just going to put these 10 minutes aside every day or 15 minutes or whatever. Stop to watching actually... that garbage on Netflix and read something yeah. decent instead. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't, if you put the time aside, it doesn't take that long to to read one book in a month um, instead of doing scrolling or social media or anything like that. So I think there's the kind of motivation to get it done and finish it, mm-hmm. that part of it. But there's also the um, kind of benefits of being around other people who like those things and meeting people who you never know where that friendship will take you or if you'll meet up outside of the book club but it also just gives people the accountability as well and I think sometimes that's it with reading is that it's one of those things you can just let go so about 40 members now yeah what have been the big hits over the last few months in terms of the books that have really resonated with the book club um one the one that we read at the end of the year was Jen Sincero Badass. You're a badass. You can say that. Okay, you're a badass. It's a really good series. (laughs) There's about four of them. Um, And actually, I randomly had seen this book, but never, I hadn't got it yet. And then when I was at home over the holidays, um, had to take a train back from my sister's house by chance and didn't have a book. And I never get alone time like that. So I wasn't expecting it. And she just had it. And she was like, borrow this. And I could not stop reading it. And now I've got all of them. There's the financial one. There's the daily one. There's an affirmations one. There's one a general. They're really, really good books. So we did that at the end of the year. Uh, this month we're reading The Audacity to be Queen, which is by Gina DeVee, which is a bit more spiritual. It's about tapping into your spiritual femininity and things. And I wasn't looking forward to it that much I don't really like the whole queen term and people calling each other queen it's not really my thing but actually it's really nice and not too spiritual if you're not really into spiritual stuff it's not too that way you know yeah I I know exactly what you're saying (laughs) because it's a huge spectrum isn't it It of the whole the wellness thing there's the very spiritual side a healing side all the way to you know more mindset and positive thinking and that's a whole spectrum change i like the idea of this how to stop this is back to you are about us how to stop <laughs> doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life love this mm-hmm. um and in terms of what you've learned from i mean it must be really hard to separate in terms of your training versus what you've been reading but things that you've picked up over the years that you carry forward and have implemented in your life and you know, encourage people that you're coaching to do, Heather, what are some of your all-time favourite self-help or self-development books? I think it sounds very basic, but there's a book called The Power of the Subconscious Mind. It's by Dr. David Murphy. It's a small book. It doesn't take a long time to read, but it really makes you realise how much our thoughts create everything that we do and that we are in control of changing them is difficult Mm -hmm. (laughs) obviously it's not an easy thing to do but we are in control and the the subconscious mind rules the show it rules our lives it rules our everyday routines and if we can somehow try and change that small habits all those things can be changed but it starts in the mind 
I think, lastly, I do think it's a really lovely idea. To be honest, um, to bring people together and for people, and I had a message saying, "Are you open to new members?" Of course, of course. Even since you said we had forty, I think we're up to forty-eight now. So, how can people yeah. get in touch? So, if you send me a message either on Facebook um, or on Instagram at Heather Broderick Coach, and I'll just give me your number, I'll add you to the WhatsApp group. But it's very informal, you know. Like some people. We'll read everything and try and come to the meetup at the end of the month. Some people don't. It's very, very informal. You know, and if you say, oh, I can't make it this month, I can't read the book, I can't buy it in time, there's no pressure whatsoever. So it's a really nice way to come and meet new people. And it's a small group as well. We mm. Normally with the meetups, we have between four and six, which I think, having been to quite a lot of networking events in Dubai, people are petrified of them. Yeah, <laughs> we are. Especially going to them on their own, which is a big thing. But if you know that it's something small, it's literally a small table, there'll probably be four of us, six of us around a table, then it might be a little bit more easy for you to make that first step and come along and you never know, you might meet some new friends. Heather Broderick Coach, if you want to send me the word Heather, I'll happily send you that link. Have you ever given up on a book and thought this is absolute garbage? Yeah, a lot there's and this is one of the things as well about knowing which books to choose sometimes you can get swept away by all the ones that are big or they're written by the big you know famous coaches or mindset coaches and there there was a book that somebody gave me I, I can't remember the exact name it was like the 12 ways of I can't even remember the exact name, but it was really hard to read and really hard to get into. The language was not my kind of language at all. And honestly, I was like, I must read it. I must read it. And after about 12 pages, I gave up. Life (laughs) is too short. Heather, thank you so much for coming in. I'm going to be tapping you up for your list of books, I'm sure. And uh, as I said, Heather Broderick Coach on Instagram. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.